You ever wonder why you're so tired at the end of a day? Some of you get to the end of the day and you're just exhausted. And I want to help you understand today why it is that you may be as tired as you are at the end of the day. So let me just share with you some of the things that you do during the day, many of which you're not even aware of. Your heart beats during the course of an hour. Your heart beats 4,800 beats in one hour. So over the course of a day, that means your heart beats 115,200 times in one day. In one day, the blood in your body travels about 12,000 miles. How far is that? Where if you would take off from the East Coast to the West Coast and drive back and do it again, that's about 12,000 miles. That's how far your blood travels in your body during the course of one day. You take between 17,000 and 30,000 breaths per day And that's when you're at rest. If you're up and you're exerting yourself, if you're exercising, if you're out working, doing something, you're, you're, you're doing even more. You speak about 16,000 words per day. And I know that's low for some of you. And every day it's estimated. Listen, this blew my mind. Every day it is estimated that between 40 and 50 billion, with a B, billion of the cells in your body are replaced. Now, if you want to know why you're tired at the end of the day, there you go. You've got good reason to be tired because there's a lot going on. Now, some of it you're aware of and have a little control over, like the words you speak during the day. Although for some of you may go, hey, I'm not in control of that either. Much of this stuff is we don't think about. It happens. But I want to tell you it doesn't happen by accident. It happens by design. I'm under the firm conviction that you and I have a creator. There is one who made us, one who designed us. And even though this body that we are in, because of the fall, because of the entry of sin into the world, even though because of that, there are things like cancer and dementia and all other kinds of diseases that ravage our body. Even so, This is a remarkable machine. We don't even think about it. We don't don't contemplate it. We don't give it a lot of thought of this body that we are in. We're told by many that we're just some cosmic accident. That, you know, because of certain things happening and, and the temperature of the earth and big quagmire of proteins and all this kind of stuff, that somehow all this just came into being without thought, without intelligence, without design. But when I look, when I, when I just think about what it takes for me to see you right now, Just go. I mean, we've got, you have the ability. It used to be that my dad would send me to the World Book Encyclopedia to look stuff up. I'd go to my dad with a question. My dad would always say, look it up. So when I became a parent, my kids asked me questions. Hey, same thing. Look it up. Look it up's a great answer, parents. A great answer. Make them look it up, even if you know the answer. Now, it's also good to cover up when you don't know the answer. I could tell you, but you need to look it up. All right, so now you have Google, Wikipedia. You have other things. Wikipedia is not always reliable, so you do want to find another source. 
But just go look at what it takes for the human eye to be able to see something. It is absolutely incredible what it takes just for us to have sight. There are days that I sit here and I just marvel at the miracle of the human hand. Some of you have had injuries, carpal tunnel syndrome and other things that have caused your hands not to work like they ought to. This is an incredible thing that we have that we don't give much thought to. Augustine wrote many, many years ago, People travel to wonder at the height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long course of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. There is no sense of awe at the body that we have been placed in. That which most of the time works pretty much like it ought to. We're not blown away by it. But if we would stop and think about this, then we would be able to declare with David, as he did in Psalm 139, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not here by accident. I'm not here at some fluke of the universe. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit me together in my mother's womb. I am the handiwork of God. Isn't that an incredible thought this morning? Some of you didn't think that when you got up this morning. You had lots of other thoughts in your mind, lots of other things that were going through, but you didn't stop to think as you stood there and looked in the mirror. Yes, I know when you look in the mirror, it sometimes screams at you that, hey, I need to fix my hair. Hey, I got wrinkles where I didn't have them yesterday. Hey, I need to go on a diet on Monday. It screams a lot of things at you, but let it speak to you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a unique creation of God. God made you. You're not an accident. You're here on purpose. You have a creator. And listen, because you have a creator, your life has meaning and purpose. If you were truly to think that you were here by some massive cosmic accident, that there is no rhyme or reason, there is no intelligence behind this, there is no designer, no creator, that you're, you're a fluke, then where would be your purpose and meaning in life? You'd have to figure it out. You'd have to make it up. But because we aren't, an accident, because we are here on purpose, because we are God's unique creation, then that means we have significance. It means you have purpose. It means that our life has meaning. And so what I'd like us to do is kind of roll back the calendar all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at just a few verses here, verses 24 to 28. Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. And I want us to hear 
for what the Lord has to say to us today. We're going to kind of get a running start on the sixth day of creation. Beginning in verse 24, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and, the anal- and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and, and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. When we read this, when we read this, we are struck with the uniqueness of our creation. <clears throat> Go back, take some time to read through Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and you will see that as God is creating, Mankind is unique. Now, plants and animals were created. Plants and animals have life. But as we look in Genesis 1 at how God uniquely created man, especially set them apart, as we look in Genesis 2, which is kind of an expansion of Genesis 1, we see how God made Adam and breathed into him. Something that it says of no other creature in all creation. It shows a uniqueness that mankind has above all other creation. God put his breath in us. In the Hebrew, the word breath is ruach, which means spirit. God put his spirit into us. He breathed his spirit into us. And we were made in His image. It doesn't mean we're identical to God. But it means we are like God. We are, in many ways, God's representative here on earth. We represent God on earth. How do we know that? Because the King of heaven gave to us dominion over the earth. Dominion over everything that that lived and moved on the earth. We were given dominion, charge over this. Why is it significant? Why is it significant that you and I are made in the image of God? What does that mean? I tried to get a real short definition, but... I don't think it's real easy to put in a short definition. I I found it interesting that a great many very intellectual studied Bible scholars, they it it was one of those things where they they could never get a real firm definition. They I mean they'd get a definition, but they'd always end up expanding on it on the edges because I, I don't think in our minds we can actually imagine all that it means to be made in the image of God. 
But I want to share with you some of the things that it means. And I want to steal these, and I'll go ahead and give him credit, from a guy named Don Donovan who wrote an article called Man Made in the Image of God because I think he summed it up very, very well, as well as anybody I've read. To be made in the image of God means that we are spiritual beings. You may want to write these down, or maybe you've got a memory you can remember them all. We are spiritual beings. In other words, we're not just physical. Remember, God breathed His Spirit into us. And because we are spiritual beings, we long for a spiritual connection with God. And what did Jesus tell us? God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. There's a connection, there's a longing, there's a yearning in us because we are spiritual beings. It means that we are personal beings. That is, we are individuals with personality. And you say, oh, yes, I know a lot of people who have personality. But God designed us with personality. Why? Because He is a person, not a thing. He is a person and therefore has personality. Because we are a personal being, we have a self-awareness, we have a self-consciousness. In other words, and I don't want to offend any pet lovers, But we're not on the same level as dogs and cats. They think. They have affections. But they don't have the same kind of awareness and and consciousness and individuality. They've got a personality. But it's not like the personality that we have because we were made in the image of God. So we're spiritual beings and personal beings. We're also moral beings. We can understand that there is right and wrong. And because we are moral beings, we can choose between right and wrong. We are relational beings. One of the harder concepts, theological concepts for us to understand is the concept of God as Trinity. One God who's revealed Himself to us in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, there it is. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, we see it on page after page after page. God revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because God is in this perfect unity relationship. We too long for relationship. Some of you have seen the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is a great actor. Whether you agree with his politics or not, he's a great actor. And that was a powerful movie. But one of the most powerful parts of that movie was his connection with the volleyball. A volleyball whom he named Wilson, because it was a Wilson volleyball. And what you see in the course of that movie, as he is more and more isolated from people, he has to establish a relationship with a volleyball. And when he's finally separated out in the ocean, separated from that volleyball, it is a traumatic experience for him. Why? Because we are created for relationship. When God created Adam and he paraded all those animals in front of him, say, hey, buddy, you get to name them all. And he started out really, really well. Yeah, duck-billed platypus. That's a good one. Hippopotamus. 
That's a good one. By the time he got to the end of the line, he was tired. He was like, dog, cat, cow. Let's just get stuff out of there. All single syllables. Let's go. But once he, all the animals had paraded before him. You know what God said? There was, what the Bible says is there was no helper suitable for him. God said it's not good for man to be alone. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us two is better than one. We're made for relationship because we're relational beings. We're rational beings. We're rational beings. We were created to think we have an intelligence, some greater, some less, but we all have intelligence and the capacity for discerning, making choices and decisions using the intelligence that God has given us. We are emotional beings. Do you know we have an emotional God? We have an emotional God. We see that fully in Jesus who wept and who laughed and who suffered. And God has placed emotions in us. Yes, there's there's sadness and there's tears and there's anguish, but there's joy and there's compassion and there's love. And we're creative beings. This creator God who made something out of nothing. I mean, God didn't start. It wasn't like a paint-by-numbers set with God. It was full-blown creativity. He, he started from nothing. You know, even, even the world's greatest painter started with paint and canvas. He started with nothing. And out of nothing, he made everything. And God has put a creative capacity in us so that we can think beyond what is to what could be. And I'm so grateful for that level of creativity that God has placed in us. And it is a mark that we are made in His image, the image of our Creator. Uh, Now, I know that's a lot of stuff, but I think that's helpful for us to understand. When we talk about the image of God, we're not just talking about some raw theological concept to toss back here and there. It actually has significance. It has meaning. That we are made in the image of God is not a what. It's who we are. It 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 is us. And I want us this morning, if possible, and... And I don't know how to do this. I I wish I could just let you get into my study during the week, let you get into my prayer time this morning. I I don't know how to say it with enough passion. I don't know how to say it with enough empathy. I don't know how to say it with enough uh, loudness even to, to help you to understand. I want you to understand the significance of this. You, capital Y, O, U, were made in the image of God. So I'm going to let you help me. Would you say with me, I am made in the image of God? Say it with me. I am made in the image of God. Say it again. I am made in the image of God. Now listen, I want you to do this. I want you to turn to the person on your left and right. Go ahead and you can do it. And tell them you are made in the image of God. I want us to get the significance of this. The weight 
of this, the gravity of this. You were made in the image of God. And because of that, your life matters. Because of that, every life matters. There are over 7 billion people on this globe right now. Over 7 billion. And people have called the earth a little blue dot, a speck in the vastness of the universe. And so David would write, what is, what is man that you would think of him? What, what are our children that you would give thought of them? We're insignificant. We have no meaning. But listen, if you ever get to thinking in your life that you're insignificant, that your life has no meaning, that you have no purpose, that you're not important, that you have no value, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Just just open your Bible right there. It's right at the beginning. You can find it. Open it to Genesis chapter 1 where you see that mankind was made in the image of God and remind yourself, I am made in the image of God. And that means I have significance to Him. Whether anybody else feels it or not, whether anybody else thinks I'm important or not, whether if everybody in the world thinks I'm trash, what does God think of me? God made me. I'm precious to Him. Your significance is not in what you do for a living. Your significance is not in the size of your 401k. Your significance is not in the language you speak or the nation from which your ancestors came. Your significance, thank the Lord, is not what you made on the SAT. Your significance is not where you went to school or what side of the tracks you grew up on. Your significance is that you are made in the image of God. No other arbitrary measurement. And not only are you made in the image of God. Listen, that image was marred by sin. The Bible tells us that we all sin and come short of the glory of God. That image has been smudged, has been scraped, has been muddied by our sin. But Jesus, who the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians, is the image, I like that, is the image of God. Came down to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Because no matter how we try to clean ourselves up, no matter how we tried to wipe away our sin, no matter how we tried to go in and fill in with putty and, and, and duct tape all the cracks and dents and, and scrapes on our lives to make ourselves right again, to restore this image of God so that we could be in the presence of God, which is what our hearts long for. No matter how hard we tried, we couldn't do that. And so Jesus came and He lived among us a perfect life. He lived it in the body. He lived it in the flesh. He came to be one of us. 
And in every way, he was tempted just like we are, except without sin. And even though he had never sinned, he went to Calvary's cross and he died on that cross for your sins and for my sins to restore what was broken, to make us whole again. So that the image of God might shine through us. This truth should change how you think about yourself. It should also change how you think about other people. I've got to tell you, I've, I've, I've heard this from more than a few people who serve at restaurants, that some of the rudest people that they encounter on Sunday afternoon are people who look, at least, as if they've just come from church. I don't care if a person is behind the counter of a McDonald's or whether they are carrying the drinks to your table at the Ritz-Carlton. It does not matter. Listen, they were made in the image of God. And because of that, they have significance and value and worth beyond anything, beyond anything that you could imagine. Their station in life, their place, it doesn't matter if you're behind the counter of Walmart or whether you're sitting behind a desk in a corner office of Wall Street. Let me tell you what, your significance and worth to God are not diminished by your station in life, nor are they elevated by your station in life. God has just as much compassion on the street sweeper in Bangladesh as he does for the man who sits in the Oval Office or the White House. And because of that, you and I should. And listen, it gives us a strategic... Let's be... We'll be mercenary here for a moment. It gives us a strategic advantage to recognize that. Because we, above all people, should show a level of respect and dignity and kindness to others that they couldn't find anywhere else in the world. And it opens doors and provides opportunity for us to tell them why they have a longing in them that has not yet been met. And so when I see you and I look, ooh, I've got my eyes on you. When I see you, at Dairy Queen, interacting with the person at the counter, or at Publix, interacting with the person behind the deli counter, or the person who's checking out your groceries. When I'm looking at you, for the most part, and I'll tell you it is for the most part, I rejoice that you've gotten it. And you understand that even though you don't know this person, you have no idea what their life is like, even so, you give them the dignity of being made in the image of God. Listen, I need to finish this up. Let me just share with you a few things. These, are, um, these will be up on the screen for you this morning, but I, I just want to give you some, I guess, some application for this to help you along the way. First of all, don't let a day pass without meditating on the marvelous gift of life that you've been given. God has given you this life. Don't let a day pass without being blown away 
that God has entrusted this to you. And it is a trust. Secondly, commit to discovering your uniqueness and living this brief life, and it is brief, in a way that points people to the Creator. Use your days wisely. Uh, Teach me to number my days, to recognize they're short. Live in such a way that you're pointing people to the Creator. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and they praise your Father in heaven. Let people know why you are like you are. Strive to stand for the dignity of all people, fighting for liberty and justice. Let me tell you, there's a term that's gotten a bad name, and I want us to change that. There's a term called social justice that's gotten a bad name among some. And again, it's been abused, but let me tell you what. If there's anybody who ought to stand up and fight for social justice, that is making sure that everybody in our nation is treated with dignity and treated fairly and justly, it ought to be the church of Jesus Christ. Am I right? And so we need to find ways that we can take that kind of a stand. Fourth, stand up and speak up for those who cannot stand up or speak up for themselves. Who are those? Those are the aged and the infirmed. Those are the disabled. And those are, like we've heard this morning, the unborn. Who have no voice. No voice. And no choice. And we need to stand in the gap for them. And finally, because this image of God in each of us has been marred by sin, let us unashamedly and unapologetically Seek to bring people back in the right relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who's the untarnished image of the invisible God. That's our challenge. That we who bear His image go out into a world of people who bear His image but don't even know it. To be able to tell them that their life has dignity and value not simply because they're a citizen of the United States of America, but because they're a creation of God. And invite them to come and understand what it means to be made in God's image and to have that image restored through His Son, Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for this word, um, Lord, we want this to be more than just a concept for us. We want it to be a reality. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are struggling uh, with the image they have of themselves this morning, that you would begin to help them to see things in a different way, to take off the blinders that Satan would put on and to help them to understand their great value and worth to you their great value and worth in this world in which they live, that they're not simply one of seven billion people, but they are a unique individual made by you, formed by you, gifted by you, shaped by you, to be used by you, to bring glory to you, and to lead people to your Son. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling because this morning they understand that They can accept that this image of God in them is marred by sin, but they hadn't found a way out yet. 
And Lord, they've been trying to be a better person and they've, they've turned over new leaf after new leaf after new leaf. Lord, I pray today that the striving to get to you would be met by the truth of your gospel that you come to them and then you meet them at the point of their deepest need and you speak to their hearts and you've been tugging on their spirits oh so long Lord and you've been calling them to come and to, to be restored and to be made whole and to be made new and to find life in you and God today Lord if you're drawing them I just pray that nothing 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 will stand in their way of coming and receiving what you have to give today to them. New life, new hope, new peace in Jesus. And Lord, for those of us, for those of us who perceive this, but have kept it bottled up, we stuck our candle underneath a, a bowl so that the light can't get out. kept our salt in the shaker refusing to let it get out Lord would you so convict us that when we leave this place we cannot help but be people who not only honor and value others because of who they are made by you but but people who invite others to experience fully what it means to be in the image and likeness of God Lord your promise is that one day those who are in Christ will see you as you are because we will be like you. And so, Lord, whatever it is you're calling people to do today, whatever move you've placed on them today, Lord, I pray that this will be a time of great decision for you. In Jesus' precious name we pray it. Amen.